Heavenly Father, as we come to the preaching of your word tonight, I as an individual uh, do not uh, deserve the attention of all the people, but your word is worthy of our attention. And I pray, Lord, that I can simply be a vessel, I can simply be a conduit to deliver the truth of the message to our hearts and to our minds. I do believe the truth of the word that we will hear tonight will be of utmost importance, and I pray that our attention would be given not as respect to a man, but as respect to you and to your word. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to do somewhat of a Bible study for several minutes and then I'll make a few applications in the close of the message. I'm aware that on Sunday uh, many have started early and many, many folks have worked and served through the day and I am respectful of your time and I uh, will not be long tonight but I do believe that we ought to give our attention uh, to the message. There are four parts in this passage of scripture I want us to see. Oftentimes we see a text, but we don't get the full value of a text because we do not take time to see the context. Sometimes we study the pieces, but we never take time to see the picture that comes from all of the pieces together. So first of all, I want you to make note of verses 16 through 19. And in verses 16 through 19, he gives a parable. I'll not go through a long description of that parable, but he basically summarizes it by saying in verse 18, by saying, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he had a devil. But then Jesus came, uh, after that the Son of Man eating and drinking, they say, behold, a man gluttonous. Uh, he's a gluttonous, he's a wine-bibber, and he's a friend of sinners. So they were against the truth regardless of who gave it and how they gave it. So that's what he's saying. That's a, that's a parable and that's the revelation of the parable. Then in verses 20 through 24, he pronounces a woe. He pronounces a woe and I'll come back to that in just a moment. Verses 25 through 27, he gives a praise. Uh, a parable, a woe, and then a praise. Verses 25 through 27 Verses 28 through 30, he gives an invitation with instruction. Now, I'm going to repeat that in a different manner as I go through uh, the study of these verses. A parable, a woe, a promise, and an invitation with instruction. I'll begin here. The word woe in verse 21 means not only judgment. Most of the time when we see woe, we understand that judgment is coming, but it means more than judgment. It also includes pity. It also includes sorrow. He feels sorry. Don't miss it now. He feels sorry for those that hear the truth, but they don't get the truth. They hear it, but they don't get it. He said often, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I wonder, is he saying if you have ears on the side of your head? No, that's not what he's talking about. He said if you have ears to hear, that means if you've been born again, uh, you have an ability to hear and understand. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. And so he pronounces a woe, and that includes pity and sorrow. 
it was a tragedy that the cities the Lord Jesus ministered in, they rejected him for the most part. And I'm preaching on this subject. I should have given you the title, What About My Generation? What About Us? I'm not studying the Bible just to give an opinion of that generation. I want to look at that generation. I want to give an opinion. I want to give a judgment. I want to give a prognosis of our generation. What about our generation? Do we hear with our ears but not receive with our heart? Jesus said if the Gentile nations, if the Gentile people such as Tyre and Sidon, if the godless cities such as Sodom and Gomorrah, had they seen what the Jewish cities had seen, had they seen what the, uh, the, the cities of Jerusalem, the cities of uh, Capernaum, had the Gentiles' cities seen what they saw, he said they would have repented long ago. He said, you have been blessed. In fact, he says, Capernaum has been exalted to heaven by having the Lord Jesus live and serve in Capernaum. Yet the greater privilege of Christ being there brought about a greater responsibility and with a greater responsibility, a greater judgment. It's interesting to note that five of ten miracles recorded in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9 were performed in Capernaum. Now stay with me. Why did the religious leaders reject and rebel against the preaching uh, and the truths given by John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus? Here's the answer. Because they were intellectually and spiritually proud. But what about our generation? Are we going to hear and receive the word of God? Are we going to let our intellectual pride and our spiritual pride keep us from hearing the truth of the word of God? And in their intellectual and spiritual pride, they would not become little babes in humility and honesty and they never saw themselves as sinners in need of a savior. Or they never saw themselves as Christians in need of serving God. Now I want to say tonight, when we hear the word of God preached, we're responsible for the word of God and the truth that's presented to us. If we are hearers and not doers, we are disobedient and stand in judgment of God. We stand in chastisement of God. Now, there was a vast difference between the spoiled children of the parable, that's verses 16 to 19, and the submissive children in the statement of praise. Look at verse number 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now, what's he saying? The children in faith received me. They didn't just hear me, they believed in me. They didn't just hear me, they recognized they were sinners in need of a Savior. They recognized that they were saved in need of serving me, of becoming a follower, of becoming a disciple of Christ. 
But he said the truth was never revealed. Uh, those things were never revealed and they were kept from the wise and prudent. What's he talking about? Those that had an intellectual pride. Those that had a spiritual pride. And he said there's a difference between the spoiled children of the parable and the submissive children of praise in verse number 25. What about us? Are we just hearing or do we have a personal daily relationship and walk with God? I don't want us to be a church that when we come to church on Sunday, that's when we're spiritual. But we never think about it again until we get back to another church service. You and I ought to have a daily relationship and walk with God. We ought to have a burden for others to know and to receive the spiritual things of Christ. We ought to have a hunger and a desire to know and to learn the word of God. We come now to the fourth part. There's a parable uh, that is uh, in verses 16 to 19. There is the woe. And he said, uh, it, it, it's sad. He said, there's a woe. There is a judgment and I feel sorry for and I pity those that have received the great miracles. And may I say tonight, our church has seen many miracles, especially in the last year, but we've seen miracles through the years. God's been mighty good to our church. You understand that this time uh, last year, the bankers were saying to us, you can't build anymore because you can't borrow any more money. I'm thankful that I have a God in heaven doesn't have to borrow a cent. And God has provided and God's been good to us. But with the miracle, with the blessings, God gives an added responsibility. We're not here tonight just to take up our place in the church, our seat in the church. We need to be hearing the word of God to the place that we have a personal, daily, and a sincere relationship with God. That brings us then to the invitation. And that invitation is given in verses 28 through 30. Now understand we have two groups of people. We have the intellectually and spiritually proud. Uh, they're proud of what they know. They're proud of who they are. Then we have the babes or we have the children who have faith in God. They've received salvation. They've come to the place of service. And so he has the comparison of the two groups. Which group are you in? Are you proud of what you know? Are you proud of, 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 of what you do? Or are you humble before God saying, I'm thankful that he saved my soul as a sinner. And I'm thankful that I have the privilege, not the, not the requirement, uh, not the duty, but the privilege of serving God. Then he comes to a place of invitation. And he says this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He begins with a parable, saying, uh, When John came, neither eating or drinking, uh, you said he had a devil. When Jesus came, and he would go to the house of sinners and eat with them, you called him a glutton. And uh, you said he was a wine-bibber and a friend of sinners. And you rejected truth of both men, of John and Jesus. Then after he gave the parable, he came to the woe and he said, Woe to you, you should have repented, you should have received, 
You should have come to a place of service for God. And then he comes to a praise in those verses of 25, 6 and 7. But he doesn't give a conclusion. He gives an invitation. You still have a choice. Which side do you want to be on? Do you want to know Christ as Savior? And if you know Christ as Savior, don't you want to yield your life to his will and his service for you? Now this invitation is divided into three parts. I want you to notice the first word, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Now that was the opposite of what the Pharisee was teaching. The Pharisee wasn't teaching come. The Pharisee was teaching do. The Pharisee was trying to make people follow Moses and the traditions increasing their intellectual pride and their spiritual pride. However, true salvation is not found in doing. True salvation is found in coming in faith to Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring. We have nothing to give to God. We come to him for salvation. We come to him presenting ourselves for service. To come means to trust him. To come means to yield to him. And this invitation is open to those. Notice coming to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now he was speaking to those that were under the yoke of pharisaical legalism of the law and religion. That's what they were burdened down. They were, listen to me now, they were burdened down because they had to check all the marks. I have to make sure I do this and do this and do this and do this. And the Pharisee was saying do. Ah, but Jesus was saying come as you are. I'll save you. You can't save yourself. Oh, but I can save you. Come in humility. Come in surrender. Not just for salvation, but for service. He goes on. After he gives the word come, he says, Take, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. When we come to Christ by faith, He gives to us rest. Now stay with me. When we take his yoke, that's obedience, that's surrender, that's work. A yoke is not for display. A yoke is for serving with Christ. When we take his yoke and we obey, the result of that is learning. Folks want to sit in church and they want to learn by listening. And what we learn by listening is to obey Ah, but if you want to have a deeper walk with God, you go from listening to learn to obey to obey to learning the deep truths of the word of God. Now you hear what I just said to you. You can listen to all the lessons on prophecy you want. You can listen to all the lessons you want and I'm for them. I love them, but we don't learn of him. Oh, we learn the word of God and we learn facts and we learn figures and we learn prophecy. But the way you learn of him is getting the yoke. And when we serve with him and we're obedient with him, then we learn of him. Two things that we learn. First of all, we learn peace. And the first peace is peace with God. Romans chapter 5 in verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Ah, but there's a further, a deeper peace. There's not only a peace with God. There's the peace of God. 
That's what Paul had in the Philippian jail when he said in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I said rejoice. Paul, where did you learn of that peace? Did you learn that when you were sitting in church at Antioch and hearing the preachers preach? No, that's where I learned that I had peace with God. I learned the peace of God when I left the church and I put the yoke on and I began to serve with Christ and I found that he was with me on the mountain. He was with me in the valley. He was with me in the preaching. He was with me in the stoning. He's with me in the jail. I found that in my obedience, I have not only a peace with God, I have the peace of God. To take a yoke meant to become a disciple. When we submit to Christ, we are yoked to him. By the way, the word easy said my yoke is easy. That word easy, as I've understood that word, means well-fitting. I like to look at word definitions. For example, do you know the difference in complete and finished? You ever looked up in the dictionary the difference in complete and finished? One fellow trying to find the difference. He couldn't find the difference in the dictionary, but a man told him the difference in complete and finished. He said, if you marry the right woman, you're complete. He said, if you marry the wrong one, you're finished. <laughs> he said, if you marry the wrong one that spends a lot of money, you're completely finished, and that's the difference. <laughs> anyway, back to the message. The word easy means well-fitting. Now, what is he talking about well-fitting? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Here's what he's talking about, God's will. God's will is tailored for my life. He made a yoke. I remember going to the old country store uh, there on Route 28. Uh, we called it Grapevine. Uh, the road that we lived on, the old country store. And they had the harness and the yoke for the mules. And they had different sizes. And we found the yoke uh, that fit the mule. I'm not that old. Don't look at me like that. I, and uh, I was born late. Uh, but anyway, uh, and, and we found the yoke that fit. And it made the yoke, uh, it made the mule pull easier. It made the work easier. He said, my yoke is easy. My yoke is well fitting. I made my will for you. And if you want to learn of me, get in the yoke and serve me. He says, come. And then he says, take. And then he says, learn. The first two commands represent a crisis or a need. And we come and we yield to Christ. But this step of learning is a process. We learn about him in church. We learn of him as we serve Christ. Life is simplified and unified around the person of Christ. I want to say tonight, I don't want a religion. I want a relationship with Christ. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. I don't want a, a religion that affects the flesh. I want a relationship that changes my heart, that stirs my heart, that keep my, keeps my heart warm and hot and burning uh, inside uh, with the desire and a burden to serve him. I don't want to lose my burden to serve God. I don't want to lose it with age. I don't want to use it as a, lose it as the years go along. I don't want to lose it as I look back over the blessings and say God's been good. I believe God can be gooder. The old proverb says, good, better, best. Let it, never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. I believe God wants to do more. I believe he wants to bless and, and bless until our days are ended and let's serve him to the end. God wants to bless and so he says come and then he says take and then he says learn. Now I'm preaching tonight to get us to understand. I don't want us to just hear with our audible ears. I want us to have a hunger and a desire to hear the things of God. 
Now, I don't have time to preach these. I'm going to read this list. I don't want to be a generation that's wise, but foolish. Look at Romans chapter 1. We've got to move quickly to finish on time. Romans chapter 1. If we're late, it'll be your fault. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 20. Romans chapter 1. I don't want to be a generation that's wise and yet foolish. Notice what he says, verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Look at the detail, verse 21. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So I learned from that, glorify God with my life. Glorify God. I don't want to just know him. I want to magnify him. I want to glorify him. Church is not about me. It's about him. And my joy is found not in magnifying or glorifying self. My joy is found in glorifying the one that created me and gave me a spirit and gave me eternal life. And then he says, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations. We don't deserve what we have. God's blessed us beyond what we deserve. Be thankful for what you have. It's not wrong to be blessed. It's not wrong to be a millionaire. It's not wrong to be a billionaire. But it's wrong to be blessed of God and not be thankful. Became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. We live in a day where there are more degrees given, where there are more degrees earned, and yet, though they profess themselves to be wise, they're foolish. And I want to tell you something. I don't care what you know about life. If you don't know God, you don't know anything. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have anything. And life is not about what we can accomplish here on earth. Life is about us fulfilling our responsibility to worship Him, to praise Him, and to serve Him. Second of all, we don't want to be a religious but lost generation. Take your Bibles, go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. What does it mean to be religious but lost? Matthew chapter 23. Look at verse 24. Oh, how this describes the generation that we have today that's uh, manifested through the media and educational system of the day. You blind guides which strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. They talk about science and can identify just two sexes. After all these years, they're still confused about that and talk about follow the science. They couldn't follow a path to an outhouse, let alone follow the science. You blind guides. And he said this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. But within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. You say, preacher, what's on the outside doesn't matter. That's not what he says not what he says. He said, you clean up the inside. We go through life trying to impress others, we'll fail. But if we're clean before God, we don't have to worry about cleaning up the outside. If we're clean within before God, we'll clean up the outside. The outside is simply a manifestation of what's on the inside. 
I told the story this morning of an old miser, unclean, unkempt, selfish, wouldn't spend money to clean his house, lived in dirt. As he walked down the street one day, he looked in the window of a store and he saw an absolutely beautiful vase. It was expensive. It was beautiful. He fell in love with it. He brought that vase and he put it on his mantle. And he'd never seen how filthy and dirty and what a mess his house was until that beautiful vase that he adored and loved was on the mantle. When he saw that vase on the mantle, it, it, it caused him to clean his house up because it revealed how dirty it was. He painted the house. He painted the ceiling. He replaced the carpet. He made his house beautiful because he fell in love with the vase. Can I tell you something? If you get Christ in your heart and Christ in your life and make him the center of your life, he'll, he'll cause you to want to clean every part of your life up because you'll want to be clean because of him. We don't want to be a religious but lost generation. We don't want to be a rich but miserable generation. Take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3 is not talking about the world, not talking about uh, the unsaved. Revelation chapter 3 is talking about the church. And he said in Revelation chapter 3, we'll begin in verse number 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke. How do you see yourself tonight? Do you say, well, I'm rich, I, I've got everything I need, I, I have need of nothing. He said, I counsel thee, I counsel thee, let me evaluate life. I want to tell you, friend, I don't want to be rich but miserable. I want to be rich in him. I want to be a part of a generation that's a bloody generation but cries peace. Jeremiah chapter 8 talks of the world saying, crying peace, peace when there is no peace. We don't want to be a generation that's young but dangerous. 2 Timothy chapter 3, In the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud, blasphemous, unholy, unthankful. I don't be that generation that he's talking about right here. I want to be religious and lost. I, I, don't, I don't want to be a Pharisee and not a servant. I want to be a true servant of Christ. I'm preaching to you tonight. Let's have a right and true relationship with Christ. When you get up in the morning, find a place and find some time and open the word of God and say, Lord, speak to this old cold heart of mine. I believe it was George Mueller said, my first order of business every day is to make myself happy in Jesus in the word of God. Turn it on, listen to it, let the word speak to your heart. What we're doing right now is what Christians do, but what Christians are is what we are when we are alone. We don't want to be a generation that's powerful but afraid. There's a generation coming and we're there now. Luke chapter 21 tells us that men's heart fail them because of fear. I don't be a generation that lives in hopelessness in a day when God offers hope. I just gave you the outline. I didn't preach all this to you. But I want to I tell you tonight, 
I want to be a Christian of hope. Let me give you one verse to close. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. Just before the end of the Old Testament. Let, let's be real Christians tonight. Let, let's decide. I, I don't want to play games. I, I don't want to just go to a Bible college just to be a part of a crowd or a part of a show or a part of a fun, a part, a, 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 a part of a program. I want to be in, in Bible college because I want to learn the Bible. I want to learn to serve God. I want to learn the Word of God. Zechariah chapter 9. Look at verse number 12. You'll want to mark this. This will bless your heart. You'll see it even more during the week when you think about it. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Now he's talking about the last days and talking about the end of the tribulation and before in prophecy before the millennial reign. And he's talking about as we look at the circumstances around us. Please don't miss this. But look at the circumstances around us. We're talking about a generation that's strong, but they live in fear. A generation that has everything, but they're hopeless. That's where we are today. But he said the children of God, they're not prisoners of circumstances. We're prisoners of hope. What does that mean? We may not get paid in green cash on Friday, but there's a better day coming. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews, they had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That meant, while I may not receive the blessings of obedience here, I receive the blessings in eternity. I'll be blessed of God in the millennial reign. I want to be a prisoner of hope. I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care what the circumstances are. I want to be able to respond and say, but my God can deliver me. You know what the children of, of, of the three Hebrew children were? They said, we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. We'll take away your hope. You can't take away the hope of a prisoner of a hope. They said this. They said, our God will deliver us. But if not, we're going to be with God regardless. That a hope in them. Real Christianity. When you look at all the pieces... Sometimes we look at just a text, and sometimes that is good and it's helpful, but now and again, when you look at a text and then a context, it helps you see not just a piece, but it helps you to see the picture. Let's not just be people who have hearing ears, but hearing hearts. Stand with me, if you will. Heavenly Father.